Mm. And then, you know, Frank always says they complain and they say, oh, you know, I can't get connected with people. Uh-huh. And they blame it on their disability. And uh-huh. Frank, you know, says, hey, uh-huh. you know, turn the letterboard around. Right. Make it easier for people to talk with you. Cool. R E A C Reach Reach Out. But they don't, but they want to be blame the disability for yeah. all their problems. Huh. Hasn't stopped you. <laughs> How does did you get started in in your work? How did you get started? In How did work? I get started in my work? Yeah. Um, I started writing. Oh, is there more? I think so. Okay. Or in your or in your play in your <laughs> L in your life or in, in my life. life how did you get started in your life hmm, now I don't know how to answer <laughs> huh. how did I get started in my life maybe I should answer that one that seems interesting yes um, well you know it's funny I was talking to my mother um, a few months ago about some early some childhood things and she said to me she was kind of questioning my interpretation of my childhood or something and she said well you were just always this kid who like always wanted to go and explore and meet people and when you were two and people would come over when they were leaving you would be sad and want to go with them and see what was going on so it was actually really interesting to hear that and I think that that's true that I'm just very curious. Like? Like me. Yeah, probably. You want to hear more? Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that enough? <laughs> um, I, I am not C- NN. <laughs> what was it? I'm he said not, he's not, not CNN. CNN. Not you can get longer I answers. I know. You, gotta, you know. you have to be sharp. That's right. I got my talking points. Um, <laughs> um, so then how did I get started in my life? Well, I, I went to nursery school and I made some friends. <laughs> then I went to kindergarten. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I, yeah, I just always had a, that, I grew up in Rhode Island, mm-hmm. which is a very um, quirky, interesting state. I think it really kind of shaped me. But at the same time, I really wanted to leave it. And you, M, A, 
made, you made a C career out of quirky. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, and I'm getting more explicit about it. I think I'm going to become more explicit about that because I've been kind of not totally owning it. How? How? I don't know yet, but I think it's going to be like the centerpiece is... But yeah, because I'm really interested in individuality and acceptance and celebration of individuality. And I think that is underlies all my work. And... I'm actually working with a coach now to help, like, help me see that because there's per certain parts that I haven't, I haven't made it coherent yet, but that is the center of it all. What is your, no, what is quirky? What is quirky? Um, it's unintentional difference. So it's basically being yourself in a way that is not, it's not like trying to be quirky. Like for example, I think quirky is hip right now. And there was a Saturday Night Live sketch that was like Zooey Deschanel and like other quirky characters in pop culture who have this kind of hip aesthetic and that's not quirky at all. Like that's totally commercial and predictable. So quirky, like the, the example that I used in the Quirky Alone book was like it's a cowlick. It's like your hair sticking up, mm -hmm. and it's uncontrollable. You do, you work with it. You don't hide it. You go with it. And P L A play with mm. and play with it. Yeah, and play right if you can. Like first, you have to accept it and be good with it. That's the first step. And then, yeah, play with it. It's more fun. S, how, why, would, not, you, a, accept it. Why would you not accept it? Because it's not acceptable. I mean, it's not how you're supposed to look or behave or be or because it takes courage to accept your quirkiness. But if you are quirky, you don't have a choice? <laughs> um, well, you do have a choice. I mean, you can camouflage it and blend in. If you're, if you're self-identified quirky, then you've made the choice to embrace your quirkiness. But everyone potentially is quirky. I mean, we all are, right? So that's really the difference between quirky people and not quirky people is that the quirky people, the non-quirky people are hiding it. S, A, T, S, A, R, 
No, S. No, A. R. T. Art. And S. C. H. And school. S. C. H. No, S. C. I. Science. Art and science. R. F. I. F. U. L. L. Full of quirky people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. I. H. J. I just. I just. R. Red. Which one are you thinking of? The science? The science one? Um, let's see, what was the name of that book we just finished reading about the, um, the science dude? Feynman. Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman. It was a, a biography of him. Did he write it? <laughs> he wrote it. Yeah, yes. I okay. read it. Right, right, right. Okay. Do. How. He. Is. Quirky. Michael's read it. I so. read it. He's amazing. He, when he was studying physics, instead of reading the books to understand physics, he did every experiment in history to understand it on his own terms. So by the time he became a scientist, he couldn't, no one actually understood the ideas he had because he had to start, he started all of them from scratch. He's really funny too. He's an awesome guy. Yes. He can P I C pick L O C Oh, pick locks. There was that whole thing where he got into picking locks. Really? Just for yes. the challenge? He was really safes. And so he, he knew how to pick most of the safes in the building that he was in at one point. Yeah. And um, he kind of prided himself in that. Huh. I wish you learned that skill. And the M A N manager. M A N H A T Manhattan Project. Oh, the Manhattan. That was the that was the organization where he picked all the locks. Oh, that's a great place to do it. <laughs> well, you know, if you're gonna go, go big. I guess. He, just was, he was a more original thinker than almost anyone else around him. And I don't ever understood if it was just who he was or if that's how he learned to be. But I keep reading those books because I, I never get tired of them. How, what was it called, the actual book? Do you remember the title of the book, Mikey? Yeah, he'll look it up. He'll look it up. Um, U M U 
must be kidding. Yeah. Oh, that was the name of it. Something yeah, you like must that. be kidding, Mr. Feynman. Yeah, or, there yeah, you yeah, go. That's, that's there you a great one. Yeah. <laughs> Good choice. Good yeah. choice. Yeah. You read a lot of physics books. <laughs> we read a lot of books, but we've, you know, Frank has read um, a lot of physics books over the years. Okay. Yeah. Do you all read books together? Or what's um, Frank gets the talking books from the Library of Congress. It's, okay. you know, it's a free service. Okay. So um, he can pick the books online, and then we download them and you know, put them on a little stick, mm -hmm. and they send us the uh, machine to listen to them. So okay. we always have two books going. We have uh -huh. one during the day and one uh -huh. late at night uh -huh. when we're getting ready for bed. So, uh -huh. yeah, it's really fun. do a lot of reading. Every, even... Ever, uh, after, one, zero, ten, years, at, L, E, A, S, T, least. After 10 years, at least, of not reading, right, any books at all. Mm. Well, it's because we started the radio station, and so we had that on all the time, so we just uh. stopped reading. Before that, huh. we had books going all the time. And then we started again, like, a year and a half ago or so. And Quirky, have you read Quirky alone? <laughs> We haven't read, uh, no, we haven't read Sasha's book. Is it on Talking Book? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, well, yeah, anything's possible. Yeah. S. So, how did you D. I discover the P O power of being quirky. Huh. That's a good question. <laughs> I am that. I am not Anderson Cooper. <laughs> Absolutely not. Totally different wavelength and speed and yeah. He's much more combative. Um, <laughs> uh, the power of quirky. I feel like I'm still discovering the power of quirky. Um, how did I discover the power of being quirky? Mm. It's like weird to say power and quirky together because they're not words that you would normally associate with each other because quirky is so sort of soft. F O R C Force The Force The Force of Quirky. Well, I mean, in a sense, it's like being a writer and like having an individual vision. And it's something that um, 
it comes down to wanting to offer something new, which is in itself probably going to be quirky at this point because almost everything has been done or written about. Mm. So in that sense, and I think the internet, like I've been thinking about this quite a lot, like the internet makes it even more important to be quirky or just to be different because it's just a complete inundation of stuff, right? So it's mm -hmm. like having an, a distinctive point of view that people really want to read mm -hmm. is like the only thing that will make it important. Mm -hmm. And the power of quirky, I feel like it should be like something that's personal, the power of quirky. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think about like a moment in my life that I really felt that. Because, like, if you think quirky alone, it's, like, quirky and alone. Like, that is a very, it's about being quirky, but it's about a very particular mm. experience of being alone in a social setting mm. where you're supposed to be with a date, mm. right? So that whole book is about that project. So mm. there are moments like that that I could identify. Mm. Quirky. It's such a good question. I want to give you a good answer. That's why I have to, like, mm. let it come to me. Yeah. In a no if in on the S U R on the surface it S a appears that to it's, it appears that you and I are O P P opposites. <laughs> In what sense? B I M all A about T R I B tribal and C O community and M E L and melting and your 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 book is T I T titled Uh-huh. What is the title? Quirky Alone. Quirky Alone. Yeah. Well yes, on the on the surface that could seem true and then there's a bunch of layers under that. Because there is the quirky alone movement, right? So there is a tribal component. But I personally have only organized one gathering a year that's Quirky Alone Day when people come together. And I could organize a lot more. It's just that 
I never really wanted to. And curriculum, it's like the point of that word is to give people a reference point to collect and to, to feel more normal in a sense and mm. to have a sense of community. But it's very conceptual. Mm. And mm. people have met their best friends through curriculum, especially through the online forums. Mm. There are people who have met each other and they travel to hang out with each other and they've like become really close. Um, so there is that, but, but you're right that it's not about melting. Mm. And I'm thinking about doing a book in the future that would be quirky together, mm -hmm. which is like the natural follow-up that's like 10 years and coming, right? And it would be very much concerned with like, mm. how do you melt but still be yourself? Or like melt but not melt. A, S, as, K, ask, him, Michael, ask Michael <laughs> that question. <laughs> that, How do you melt but not melt? <laughs> yeah, that is Q, quantum <laughs> physics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you need to be in both states at the same time. Uh -huh. I don't know. I mean, that's because <laughs> you know better than I do. Why? I love the concept. I, I didn't. I mean, I don't know it. I don't know it in your experience. So I'd love to know how those things merged. Melting, but not melting. Yeah. I mean, that's the jumping-off point for the whole book. So I'm giving myself like a whole research experience to understand it better. So it's like when I think about this topic, like I. People have been asking me to do this for years, right? Because it's like really natural and I didn't feel ready to do it. Almost because I wanted to have like the perfect experience of it before I felt ready, but I haven't. And, and I've gotten to this point where like, okay, I think the way for me to understand this is to take this on in my life and in writing and talking to people. And is this, is there such a thing as a perfect experience. Yeah, exactly. That's probably the, of, the block. Of anything? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, which would be a classic curriculum mistake. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Don't. No. R. E. A. Really. That is what B O T both of us are R R R E rebelling against mm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's quirky. The C, the concept. The C O U P couple. The couple. Mm -hmm. The D E D A. The date. The couple, the date. <laughs> <laughs> the M 
O the M I S T E R Mr. Mm. Right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what, do we, what do we replace it with? I R E replace it with T tribe and I N T I N T I M intimacy. I and I think you replace it with the P E R S O N the person is all T F I F U L fulfill in his self. The person is all fulfilled in his herself. I'm considering. <laughs> um, it's, I don't have the philosophy that all man, any man or woman is an island, so no, on that, in that respect, no, and there's a significant part of my writing that's about friendship in that book, so it's the idea of significant others. And instead of just having one partner, mm. that you have many people in your life that mm. are very close. And it's not yes. a formal tribe. But, I mean, it could be, mm. depending on how, whether all those friends are in one circle. Mm -hmm. um, so there can be a quasi-tribal nature. But I don't think, most people don't have tribes. It just doesn't mm. work that way for most people. Forty-nine. Have a tribe. Oh. Now, okay, but now it's more, more calm. We're finding it's more. Is that what you mean? It's more common. More the, is that? No, it is more. That is V E very. R E recent H O 
H I S history. H I historically. It's very recent historically that people didn't exist in a tribal reality, tribal situation. I feel like, I mean, sport. I I, I still understand sports, but I can't think of a more tribal thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Because people, I, I don't know, maybe I don't. You're thinking different tribes, but everyone finds that thing that has a flag or has something that represents them, and then they identify with it. And it could be almost anything. But is that the type of tribe, or that's not what you're talking about? We, P, E, people, U, S, E. Used to L I live in H in in G R O in groups. People used to live in groups. Uh-huh. For B O B I big F A big families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a very lonely society that we have. The way our society is structured is very individualistic to the extreme. For example, being a mother is like a real uphill battle in our culture and for I remember reading an essay by a woman who was Indian and she wanted to go be back with the Indian family because she would get more support and she would be able to work and not be totally consumed all the time with taking care of her child. We? Well, we raised um, two boys and there were um, five, five to six people that were the adults and then the two kids. and. You know, it was it was a very sane way to raise kids because mm-hmm. the the kids um, were discouraged um, to identify more with the biological parent. Mm. I mean, it was okay; everybody knew it wasn't like a secret or anything. But they, we all raised them, and they had to deal with all of us mm. responsibly. So we held them responsible, and it was a. It seemed like a very sane way to do it. There wasn't all of that like craziness that happens when I hear people talking about that. I think, oh, we never went through that. Oh, we never went through that. And I realized it was because there was five or six of us. Mm. So it was all very integrated. They could not P L play us against each other the way sometimes, you know, uh-huh. they, if you have two parents, they uh-huh. and then work. Yeah. <laughs> so it was two kids and five adults yes. who were all co-parents so in some way. Yes. Wow. As, and that the was five adults were the parents. Yeah. They thought of us all as parents. So, um, uh-huh. you know, when they made a school project. Was it like project, mom one, mom two, or how do, what were the names? Well, like, well, no, we all called oh, each other by our real name. name. Okay. Sure, yeah. But when uh-huh. they had, like, Mother's Day projects, they'd make something for all, all three moms. Uh-huh. Dad uh-huh. Uh, all three dads, but they didn't call us mom or dad. They just we all called each other by our regular names. Uh-huh. Wow, how old are the kids now? 
They were born in 75. So okay. however old that makes <laughs> Yeah, it's about my age, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But the C-O-U, the couple... Is not it don't work. The couple don't work. You're definitive. You think absolutely the couple doesn't work. A, as a couple, no, as a, as a rule, as a C, O, N, as a concept, hmm. it doesn't work. It did, it I, S, isolates. And what is W R O? What is wrong with in with you that you are not? M A married. That goes along with it. What's wrong with you that you're not married? So is that a question? No, I think he's saying that that there's. It's almost like it's an under implication. Oh. It's like you know yeah. the couple is supposed to work. That's supposed to be the model. You know mm -hmm. that is like the thing that you're going for, Everyone's even though most people for. aren't doing it. Um, and if you're not, and then like, what's wrong with you? Uh -huh. As if there's something lacking in right. you. Yeah, I mean that's basically still the dominant idea. It's changing though. I mean. A friend of mine is a sociologist um, at NYU, and he just released a book called Going Solo that's gotten a ton of attention. It's about the phenomenon of people living alone. And a lot of the book is, contradicts the stereotypes of what it is to either live alone or be single and basically finds that people who live alone are more involved with their community and likely to volunteer and basically be involved with others. Because exactly what you said, that they're they're more forced to get out there than mm -hmm. when you're in a couple and you live together. It can be more isolating or hermetic. But it doesn't have to be. I mean, not all couples are mm -hmm. like that. All? No? Mm -hmm. One? Mm -hmm. No one? Is? That it is 
not the n u number two people it's not if it's one person two people however many people that's not the issue if you are e n o if you are enough and then it doesn't matter what mm. the number is if you are enough alone you mean or as one person or two people or three people uh -huh. mm -hmm. but it they p i p u they push that you are not mm. enough uh-huh mm. then there that your m a r m a you, that your mate is not enough mm. so no one is enough e x a exactly exactly yeah. no one is enough right so you k keep l looking yeah i think that like what is enough thing is like the fundamental question always just for people and like another thing i do is i coach people and I find I'm a life coach and I find when I coach people like it's often a core issue that comes up as this issue of like what is enough like whether it's talking about work or relationships or anything it's like this core dissatisfaction of what is enough so it permeates whether you're single whether you're with someone like any situation which I'm sure is particular to our culture it's so strong in people how a how about what when you get oh old mm. who me people people you people how about that in terms of community and being single or being with a partner or family all and all that, that. yeah it's yeah. a huge issue and in fact um in fact my friend eric who wrote that book wrote about me and my family because i had an issue like that come up where 
talk actually the conversation comes full circle because I have this aunt who is like the definition of quirkiness like no one could be more quirky than she is like most beautiful amazing spirit actress mm -hmm. she was a casting director in Hollywood but really an actress at the core mm -hmm. and like she would have been here doing this interview mm -hmm. she was like very countercultural and, uh, yeah, she had a partner for 25 years, but they broke up. He wasn't there for her when she had another health crisis. And then she got um, brain cancer. So, basically, she had a ton of friends. She had a tribe, but it was more of a casual tribe, which is what most people have. Most people don't live together in a tribe. And in the end, the tribe couldn't cut it for meeting her needs because the needs for someone who's in that situation are totally consuming. So my sister and I were commuting to LA to take care of her which was like not sustainable and then she went and lived with my family in Rhode Island but it was like and when it came up for me it was like quite scary like well what if I'm she also didn't have any children like what if I'm at that age or at any age and get ill and don't have kids and or a partner or even a partner like when you're in that situation you realize it is a tribe it is way more than one person can handle way more mm -hmm. so I think it's a big question for the not only people who are single or people who are in relationships like the whole country because people are living longer but yet they need a lot of help to to live in that situation they may be in for B E Betty well, we have, um, Betty is our neighbor. We might have even mentioned mm. her at the performance. She's in her mid-80s. She's a mm. church-going lady. And when we first moved into this neighborhood in um, 1995, she was that much younger. Mm -hmm. And she was the one that just welcomed us. She used to knock on the door with cookies, and she um, lived with Joe. They never had been married, but they had been together for decades. And um, so we got, you know, we got very close in a neighborly way. And um, she knew all about what we did. Even though she went to church every Sunday, she had no problem with the nudity, the eroticism, the art. She just, she loved, she just loved our spirit. Mm -hmm. And um, in they, yeah, her and Joe would, we would video the performances and they would watch it. They would say, do we get uh -huh. the tape? You know, <laughs> the two of them would sit there and watch the performance tape and uh -huh. they loved it. So um, when, when Joe got sick with cancer, um, we just, you know, we just ended up being the ones. They didn't have any kids together. And so we were the ones that um, were with her through Joe being sick because she couldn't really take care of him because she was old herself. And so we were the there. We were there. And then once Joe passed away, we just stayed. And so she lives on the corner in a little old corner apartment. And... Um, she eats all her, like, you know, Alexi, who lives, we have a house down the street that we um, built for Frank's students. So there's, um, Corey, Alexi, and Erica live there. So Alexi makes everybody dinner. So um, Betty's included in that. Erica goes down and has dinner with Betty every night, and they watch wow. her cable TV. Mm, so and, sweet. And Erica, you know, bathes her and takes mm -hmm. care of all that. Uh -huh. But, you know... Corey and Alexi are also very actively involved. We're all involved. We're the one that gets her to the doctors. We take care of everything the more, less she's able to do herself. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, we often think, you know, what would some, like somebody like Betty at this point would be in a nursing home if she wasn't uh -huh. involved in this 
kind of a tribal situation. Mm. And there's no, like, money involved in any mm. of it. Uh-huh. You know, she pays for her own food, mm. and she pays any expenses that are part of mm. hers, but she's not paying us to do anything. Mm. It's just what right. we're doing, you mm. know. And we, you know, we think about that. If it wasn't, you know, mm. what would somebody like that do right. in that situation? It's such a mm. serious quality of life mm. disparity because she's like happy. She's having fun. You mm-hmm. know, it's mm. like, you know, we decorate yeah. our house for yeah. Christmas. We decorate our house for Halloween. Right. You know, it's yeah. all like fun. Mm. You know, and yeah. it wouldn't be that way. Mm. Yeah, it's really beautiful that you have that kind of community-based mm. street where people know each other and that you. Well, it's really just us. Or just <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you have but you happen to live on the same street. We created this. that. You created it. We created yeah, this bed right. started it, and we responded mm. to it, and uh-huh. then you know the house. And the it's students. but initially it was her openness and welcoming. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. the general feeling I get when I think about this question and hear people's stories is that when you're outside of a traditional mm. family structure, it's about how much you've given to others, mm-hmm. how much will come back to you mm. when you're in that place of need. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that you could calculate mm. about it. I'm sure she wasn't thinking, well, let me embrace this weird no, tribe no, no. of sex, whatever, no. you know, to like... But... It's that spirit. It is P-O, but it is... Oh, obvious. She, it, is, be, e, because she had always be been. Open to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of rewards from reaching out to people. You know, it can be so easy to stay within your own comfort zone and your own bubble. Yeah. But you get a lot of rewards from reaching out. H E N. Hence the T. I title of the performance series, The Uncomfortable Zones of Life. (laughs) (laughs) Because you get more by making yourself uncomfortable. Well, I. well, or I think you rewards. had said something like there are rewards, but yeah. you have to push yourself mm. or something yeah. like that. So yeah, Frank absolutely. Frank is just saying it's like it's not like it's the easiest path or the most comfortable right. path. But I agree. There are more rewards I agree. That's why I'm here pushing. today because yes. I think that like okay, this was a little edgy for me, mm. but that's the way I live my life. Mm. And if you say no to interesting mm. things, then right. interesting things won't happen. Right. P E people don't get that the relationship like yeah. the way that works. Yeah, I know. I know. For they don't, it seems really natural to me. But I think that people don't get that. It's true. In O no, in P, S, 
psychology? No, in PS. No, in P H P H Y S physics. There is no D I division. It L dividing line <laughs> between between matter and energy or between comfortable and uncomfortable <laughs> E T etc. N B E between Two P between two O objects. Yeah, it's funny. We're always looking for like the grand unified theory of everything in our personal life and then in the real world. But I don't know. I mean, you think a lot of our dissatisfaction is is the separation. I think not just between people, but in ourselves, between how we really feel and how we act and all those things. So. So yeah, it's actually a really good metaphor <laughs> when you think about it. I don't know how to bring them together. Um, I haven't figured it out in physics, but... B, E, because... E, A, each needs... The other, mm. each needs the other mm. to mm. to be what mm. it is. Mm. Is that you're not sure how to put mm. it? That's the thing of there's no dividing line, as if like there's this and this. There isn't any dividing line because this needs mm. this to be so there really isn't a division between the two because they need each other to exist mm. and yet we experience things as divided mm. yeah, and like you said we almost need them to be quirky to, to have the difference so we notice it right I mean we feel the need to be different and, mm. all that, and but you know, how deep is that I don't know mm. I mean, I guess you're just ta you're talking about binary a binary opposition in a way not being real. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and then you can apply that to everything. Anything. I think is what Frank is saying. Yeah. You apply it to everything. It's it's a mind mm. fuck, or you know, mm. I mean, when I think about the, you know, I'm like, I'm just thinking of things in my head because I constantly have that, mm. you know, like this way of thinking about it, right. that way of thinking about right. it. Like, I'm always doing that, I, you know? I have I-W-E-R. I wrote a book, A Charotic Magic, right, um, about all of that sort of thing. Um, you know, about, like, energy and how all of that works and then how it applies 
to relationships and how mm. it applies to how life works. You know, this happens if you do this. And so what's the bottom line advice? <laughs> Sum that book up. <laughs> Tell me how to live my life. <laughs> be responsible. That's what be I responsible. Was yeah. Mm. Be responsible. In what way? In every way. Mm. But you could be responsible and still be gripped by binary opposition. Mm. I am mm. not. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it mean to allow for every possibility, or what? What is it like? What does it really mean? Or not um, choose, not decide what's real or what's right or wrong? Or well, let's. There's a couple things. So, to yes, mm. you know, Frank is definitely someone I would say mm. who allows for all possibilities mm. more than anybody I've ever met. He's mm -hmm. always he sees possibilities where I don't even notice them until he points them out. Mm. So he's very aware of possibilities. But in terms of responsibility. Frank, I would never. I would say that I've never seen Frank um, behave as if something happened to him. Oh, personal responsibility. Right. So taking right, 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 yeah. right. Mm. But not in that kind of like est way. Right, but not being but a victim. In a real way, in a real way of like mm -hmm. taking, like having a certain way of approaching everything mm. that happens as if it matters. Mm. You know, because yeah. I think Frank, Frank lives as if everything matters a lot and mm. yet there's a certain kind of this about that right that's the you play know? part mm. the mattering and its play yeah. yeah yeah have you read the book the infinite game i don't let them recognize that oh uh, you should read it it's about life as a game and basically it's a very i mean in a way it's like what this sort of philosophy in the book is very anti-binary like mind fuck kind of way just the way it's written is very expansive mentally mm -hmm. i think it probably s sums up the way that you guys operate in some way like he's jotting it down <laughs> yeah. mm. Mm. do you Want to a s ask me any any questions? Yeah, I've, well, I'm very curious about the community you have, including the raising of children, and like who was in it. How did it get started? What are the principles? Like the whole shebang. A, ask, W, ask questions, specific questions. Okay. When did this community begin? <laughs> well, I would say um, there's a couple things, like when... There's like that and there's this, right? B, I, had, have, M, L, lived, communally, S, since, 
I was the the W the E A early Seventies. Where did you find each other? Frank and I. And the community. Uh, the whole bunch. Yeah. W H I which time? <laughs> 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 you can, like, narrow it down. Uh, the first time. Like Will, may, maybe, L, P, maybe my, Louise would be the beginning of, of that story. Yeah, Louise, um, when Frank was in college um, in San Bernardino um, and living at home, um, there was a, a woman that was older than the college age people, the hippie woman that had like some land with a pool mm. and, and the kind of the hip college students hung out at her place. Uh -huh. And um, f so Frank hung out there and um, made an impression on Louise. Um, and um, at one point she, well, she would say stuff like, I... K E kept not I kept T trying to move out. He kept trying he Frank saw that if he didn't get out of his home with his parents during his college years, it would be much harder when he was finished college because this was like a place where he had access to people. So he had tried unsuccessfully a couple of times to move out. S, A, N, San, San Bernardino mm. was not a happening place, so uh -huh. it wasn't that easy to get something going. Uh -huh. And so um, one time at Louise's, she made some comment about that she mm. was moving to Santa Fe. And Frank said, boy, I wish I could go mm. to Santa Fe. And she said, well, just come mm. with me. And that was pretty much it. So he said, mm. okay. And um, based on, she said, well, we'll take her a couple weeks to settle with the house. Um, but he just wanted to go. So he hitchhiked to Santa Fe, thinking that she'd be right behind him with no money, didn't tell anybody. Because he knew if he told his parents, they would try to stop And him. were you in a wheelchair then? He's been like this since birth. He was so born you with hitchhiked in a wheelchair. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but he knew this was it, you know. Yeah. He really had nothing to lose. Well, this is the kind of responsibility Don't you were talking about. R, E, A, 
Really? Two, one of my. Oh, was that the one that Steve? Okay, this is not the hitchhike part. This is where Steve he got somebody to drive him there, right? And he had hitchhiked. He hitchhiked later, and right, dropped you off, right, at a at a crash pad in Santa Fe. So Steve drove him to Santa Fe and dropped him off, and then went back to San Bernardino. And Frank didn't have any money or anything, and so he's at this crash pad where he has to. Depend on other people to like get him on the toilet, mm. to get him up, to feed him. Yeah, to dress that's him. what I'm wondering about. Like, were you afraid that there wouldn't be people to meet your needs? Mm. No. I. T. R. U. Trust. Trust. Mm. Yeah. Do you ever get afraid of anything after doing that? There must. There must. <laughs> what else? What else could be harder? <laughs> w. No. E. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's all down the bar. <laughs> That's a great way to do it. I. Yeah. L. M. E. I met. The. G. U. I met the guy. Who. R. A. Ran. The. P. L, A, the place, in, S, A, Santa Fe, in San Bernardino. When you were in San Bernardino, you met the guy who ran the crash pad, but he was not there. When he was not the one even every D A every day. He wasn't the everyday guy there. So once you got there it wasn't like he was there but you didn't know that, I guess. Did you know that? And you went anyway. Right. Did Louise come? Took her months. Oh. Took her months. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Two months? Yeah. Huh. So you were hanging out at the crash pad for two months waiting yes. for her? Ha. And Took the chance. And V. I. S. I. Visiting. C. O. M. M, U, N, communes, mm. and visiting communes in New Mexico. During that two months? Then Louise came, and you um, lived in a communal situation mm. there. Um, Louise had kids from various um, relationships and then she had other people that were friends so they all lived together and took care of each other. Uh -huh. I mean, there, you were there for like nine months or almost a year, something like that. And the way you tell the story is that he, he could have just stayed there and been comfortable, but he felt like 
it wasn't the way to go, that he had to like push himself. And he met um, a couple that were driving through Santa Fe on their way back to a community that they lived in in, New in, Ma in Massachusetts. Huh. So it wasn't enough to stay there. Not in, on, their way back, on their way there. On, well, they were f somehow associated with it, and they told you about it. And based on that meeting, you decided to move to that um, community. In Massachusetts. Yes. S. So... I H That's when he hitchhiked. Uh-huh. Wow. How long did you have to wait typically for a ride? No. I P U I put a a sign up and you found somebody in a R E Rec R E C O R in a record store oh. that you needed a ride and somebody said they'd give you a ride to Massachusetts. Oh, all the way. Yeah. One ride. But okay. they, they just like dropped him off. It's like, you know, so there he is just getting dropped at this place. And the couple that he had met weren't there so nobody even knew who Frank was or that he was coming or anything F R and they freaked out <laughs> but I H A had nowhere to go so they were kind of had to deal with them uh-huh it was a couple or a family or... Oh, it was hundreds of people. Oh, it was, it was a commune. Oh. commune. Oh, it was a big yeah. commune. What town? Frank, I never can remember. B. R. O. O. No. Brookline? No, no. That one. Bro. It was it Worcester or something like that? Was Worcester. W. A. Warwick. No, that's Warwick, Rhode Island. That's where. I'm, no. no, Warwick. There's a the Warwick, Massachusetts. Warwick? Yeah, yeah. Might have been Rhode Island. No, it was Massachusetts. Huh. N. O. North. F. I. S. F. I. E. Northfield. Is that another town? In Western Mass. Yes. Is that right in Western Mass? Yes. Huh. Yeah. There would be more hippies in Western Mass. <laughs> so what happened was um, that the leader of the community, which he was an ex-Hells Angel guy, very charismatic, um, came out and um, looked at Frank and told them that um, to take care of Frank is to be in his good graces. So he kind of gave them the word. Uh -huh. Sight unseen, you, you, guys, you, never, you guys never met. Oh. No, 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 he just looked at Frank. I was his, I was 
his, him, you were him. S, O, so. Oh, that's what he said to them. Frank is me. Uh-huh. Mm. No separation. And so you moved in and you lived there for a year. They would, they were a C I C U a cult. They were a cult. Uh huh. Well, they were into um, channeling, and so. Um, Everything was about what you channeled. And so Frank's feeling Mm -hmm. was that people weren't paying attention to each other. They were only paying attention to the channel, but they weren't, Mm -hmm. like, really relating to each other. And so he would tell them that nobody listened. Mm -hmm. So they R-T-A talked about P- a past lives it was all about that sort of thing well it's interesting because i looked at your wikipedia page and i noticed that they said has been edited by members of frank moore's sex cult right so i'm sure that i'm just guessing if it's on wikipedia that's get said about your group so i'm wondering number one what do you say in response and number two like what's your definition of a cult versus a community or like how do you Think about that yourself and respond to people. H E Hey. The U S U S A the United States was founded by cults. Which ones? With the religions, you mean? A. L. O. A lot. A lot of cults. Well, I mean, we don't... I think there was a point, like maybe in the 70s mm. around the Jim Jones time where that came up more often mm. with the press. Uh-huh. You know, like mm. we, we run up against that where people would want to do stories on what we were doing mm. as a cult. Uh-huh. Um, but we really don't run into that anymore. I was surprised when I read mm. that because I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. It was surprising to me. And, I, and it was actually in a style mm. in Wikipedia that I hadn't seen before because it wasn't even italicized. Yeah. It was just in the text. Yeah, so I don't it was even sort know of what that is. I don't even know what that yeah. is. But we don't, I mean, this is the first time it's probably come up in 20 years. Uh-huh. You know, it just doesn't yeah. come up anymore because most of the people, you know, we've been, we've been doing stuff for so many decades. There's like, you know, bulk. Mm-hmm. So it's, Seems kind of surfacey. Uh-huh. So you were there for yeah. almost a year or about a year, and um, 
Oh, so what happened was nobody paid any attention to Frank telling them that they should focus on being on the earth and not past lives and uh -huh. spirit guides. And nobody paid any attention, so he channeled a spirit that told them the same thing. And then they all listened. That's awesome. And then they all listened. They would sit around and wait for the spirit to come through to tell them how they should relate to each other. Um, and how did you communicate and it? Flexible. Flexible. Uh, yeah, right. That's whatever you needed to do. Yeah. Uh, hilarious. Uh, oh, did, uh, T. He would type it. That's oh, the way he would type it. Okay, so the channeling came through typing. He would type and then. Okay. You know, but would someone else it. type it then, or how did it work? Or no, you Frank could, type. He has, oh, a, he type. He has a, um, a pointer. Mm. That's how he uses the computer. Oh, he I'm very. That's a separate question, but I'm really curious about all the prolificness and yeah. how it works. Did, did you this, have the name? laser is recent, you know, within the last so many years. That's what Frank used through most of his life. To type. And to use on the board here. He used to So point, it's like boing, boing. Just boing. push, okay. yeah. And then on the computer, he uses that. When he used a typewriter, he would use So that. when you write, you're actually writing yourself. Yeah. With no yeah, intermediary. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just him. It's cool. I. P. A. Paint. He also paints. Oh, painting that way too. That part I didn't get. Now I understand. He wears it. a yeah. hard hat and, uh -huh. a, and a paintbrush. Mm. So, like, uh -huh. those paintings mm. are all. And that, right that's Frank. Yeah, that one. The one right there. Yeah, the one right behind you on the easel. They're all paintings he did. And when he paints with that, he can only get, like, this part of the canvas, so he has to paint sideways mm -hmm. and upside down to uh -huh. fill the canvas. Hmm. So, um, yeah. S. So. S O. S I. N. Since. H. I. H I G high school. That's when he started with the pointer mm. and the painting. Well, so this part's so I I still kind of want to get the whole history, mm. but I just have to say even if we come back to it, mm. this part is so interesting to me mm. because you have so many obstacles to being creative that people can't even imagine and then people complain like, "Oh, I can't write or I can't like make mm. the time." And like that part is just amazing to me. And I just wonder, what is the impulse that says, like, I must do this? No. C. H. No choice. No choice. Uh-huh. Like. What. When. I. G. O. Got my pointer. I wrote a piece about um, world government. On one world, one world, S O. C, I, A, social, O, 
Socialism. Socialism. One World Socialism was the paper he wrote. First thing he did when he got the pointer. They. <laughs> 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 Wanted mm. to mm. T mm. take the pointer back. I and B and I W R I wrote a mm. political column. And this was all in high school. Um, and at one point, he debated um, a GI that was in Vietnam in the local paper. Was it in your high school paper? And it was a very controversial thing to do because it was before there was much support to the anti-war movement. And um, he got Frank got a lot of pressure about being, um, you know that he should be like the perfect crimp. You know, he's the guy, the smart kid, and it was the first class of um, integrating disabled with regular non-disabled kids. And he was doing stuff like that. To I, not be like a radical person, yes, but be more... I was R U I ruining. They said that Frank was ruining it for those who would follow him. Mm. And he would reply, I thought the idea was to free, is that right. the way you put it, to free the To people. be who you are. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. So what, the community? So he met, he met someone at the community, Debbie, and um, they ended up moving out of the community eventually, after a, a year total. Every... Even after I D A N O danced at Carnegie Hall. They had a band. The community had a band, and the lead guy Michael was the singer in the band. And Frank's danced at Carnegie Hall when they played Carnegie Hall, which is another thing that the people in the community. You don't want to have Frank up on the stage dancing, but Michael was, oh, yes, I do. The people from the community in Massachusetts had a band that performed at Carnegie Hall. Yes. And then how did you dance? What, what did it look like? Can you show us? <laughs> I am... I am a dancer. Frank is a dancer. Uh-huh. Yeah. L O O Look At S U S I S U N Sunday Oh, Sunday's performance? Mm -hmm. Right. There's, you can look at um, the performance that we mm -hmm. did on Sunday, last Sunday. Um, it's up on Vimeo, Frank's channel on Vimeo, and you can see him dance and sing. Um, okay. That one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
be. It's the Bob Madigan Memorial mm. Hootenanny and Seance. B. <laughs> I. Big. It was a big band. Yes. I don't even know how many. 15, Dozen. 20. Yeah, something mm. like that. People in this band. Yeah. Mm. And. S. A. Saturday. Saturday. A week ago, Saturday, Frank did a. Um, a live via Skype mm -hmm. concert performance playing the piano here. Um, and he sang and played mm -hmm. chimes and played the piano. It was just like a solo thing. And um, it was the woman who set it up was in Montreal. And so the audience mm -hmm. was all in Montreal and they watched oh, on wow. Skype. Mm. Well, how does the singing at work? He wears this <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> now I understand. Yeah. So is there is there anything worth being afraid of? I can't imagine you have stage fright. <laughs> no. No. N E never. <laughs> Well, I don't know the, that story. S mm. So you moved out of, um, they moved from the community. Mm. M, A, they got married. Mm. And um, I, don't, be, believe, mm. in, M, mm. in marriage, but... You guys did it in, at that point, mm. I guess, for various reasons. Mm. And um, and then, I don't know, you moved. Mm. You tried a, different, a couple things. They tried living in California at some mm. point in this area and going to school mm. and had all sorts of mm. obstacles. That was in the um, mm. early 70s. Four, mm -hmm. two, two weeks. They couldn't even, like, you know, get a place that would let them stay there. People were so put off by Frank. And um, so they ended up moving. Did you end up moving back to New Mexico at that point? Because Frank knew Louise and knew people there. So they went back there and lived in Albuquerque at some point and met Joe and Ray somewhere along there separately. Two, Joe is a female and Ray is a male. They, you know, not they weren't together, but mm. in the end, the four of them were um, mm. joined forces. Mm. I W E went to University mm. of New Mexico, mm. right? Mm to get money because as a student you know there's um there's a bunch you know he could get money to live um but i see i was l p i was l O, O, 
looking for something to W R work with that we that P people people no that would bring you were looking for a way to work with people Frank had read a lot because you know growing up um, he wasn't always able to go to schools his father was in the military so they lived all over the world so you know sometimes they were in countries that didn't couldn't accommodate him so he would homeschool he read a lot a lot a lot and so he had a lot of stuff, as he calls, in his back brain, just mm. like cooking, you know. Mm. And I, mm. what I know is the the one book, mm. Environmental Theater, by um, mm. Schechner, Richard Schechner, who um, is a teacher at NYU or was. Um, um, Frank, that kind of gave Frank mm. some ideas because this this theater group mm. of Schechner's. Um, created in the court they had like mm. theater without like a stage so that the you know much the same way that mm. what you came to where people were involved in the action and what frank noticed is that they inadvertently mm. created community through their performances but they weren't equipped to deal with that mm. because it wasn't like a mindful thing it wasn't what they uh -huh. wanted and they were a little uncomfortable uh. and he thought what if you applied all of that in a mindful way, like to create community. Uh -huh. So as he says, he ripped uh -huh. off Schechner's exercises. Uh -huh. And of course, uh -huh. Schechner shows up at one of the first performances uh -huh. in New York, because at, at some point they moved to New York City. And, uh -huh. um, and um, he, you know, he, he kind of experimented, you know, with this form. I, huh. S, T, A, Started a F a D a drop in workshop. Uh huh. And there were things, you know, what I think you had said something like that the lack of commitment um, was an issue. You wanted something where people he where people were more committed to it than the drop in thing. So. It's so interesting to me because I want to, I feel like the structure of this interview is like the story keeps going, but I'm going to interject with reflections yeah. Yeah. because I feel like I've done similar things in my life, but I haven't done it with a single purpose that this is my life. Like I've created community from a weird thing that we all to do together about quirky alone or something like that. Yeah. But I didn't have the idea that that was my career because I always was also practical and that like, well, I have to earn money right mm -hmm. so I'm just wondering like where does that come from to just say like this is what I do experimental stuff and then like are you concerned about money and survival M O money always mm. comes mm. Mm -hmm. uh huh mm. That's what you've. I think like it wasn't. Um, I don't think that it was about um, the art so much as for, for Frank. I think it was always about people. So he was just looking for a way 
to be with people in mm. a community way, and he, and that book gave him the idea of using mm. art and that uh -huh. particular form. So of that art. was a conduit for the primary thing. It wasn't about the art thing. so much mm. of that form. It uh -huh. was. It seemed like if something he could use. Uh -huh. I, N, intimacy. He was looking for intimacy. Uh huh. So instead of looking for the one or something like that, it was this was the pursuit. Well, I think because um, people he, are looking for intimacy, well, he, but they I think, think they're looking for one person. I think he had talked about the um, dissatisfaction mm -hmm. with the level at which people interact, just mm -hmm. generally. You know that he uh -huh. would feel like he wanted mm -hmm. to be deeper with people, uh -huh. and there wasn't any like there wasn't any structure. structure in yeah. place. So he thought, I'm uh -huh. just going to create a structure. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to create something mm -hmm. where I can be with people the way I mm -hmm. want to be with them. Uh -huh. And then he followed where that evolved, mm -hmm. and. P, E, people. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, Frank has always found that people are there mm. when you approach mm. them in that way. Like, uh -huh. you know, he ne mm. like, you know, I noticed like he never like, he always has like these high, mm. he, he addresses people as if they're going to be right there. Uh -huh. He never like talks down to people. Right. And like over and over again, I see that they always are. Uh -huh. You know, they always uh -huh. are. You think, oh, my God, I can't believe he's saying that to that person. Uh -huh. And then they'll be right there with them. Right. You know, right. and so it's so that was his experience. Uh -huh. You know, he would create these things. So it's like seeking the highest there. in people by just sort of talking to them at the highest by level. By being that way yourself. Yeah. And yeah. Uh -huh. D, E, M, demanding. Not right. Well, I mean, that was like when I when I met Frank. The workshop that was one of the exercises was demanding because we would do like a weekly workshop. And this is what's demanding. Well, it would be like where the the idea was to have a relation to have relationships that work. You have to not settle. You have to demand what you need and be willing to be what the other person needs you to be, to be willing to be demanded of. And so we sing it's not like this kind of thing like that. It's a more vulnerable, soft way. So that was, yeah, he used that in the workshops and stuff, but then created a life from that. I and... People. Would. Even. M. O. Moved. F. From. S. Santa Fe. When you moved to New York. To be. To, to be where Frank would be. Be part of this. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, that was kind of another question I had was that, um, <laughs> like, on a very gross level, there's, like, what's so compelling about you that people are willing to take off their clothes at one of these performances? Mm -hmm. Or, like, on a bigger level, what's so compelling about you that people would move to New York to be part of this? So, like, what is that? Mm -hmm. Well, for me, because uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know, really. Um, 
when I I met Frank when I was working in a travel agency. I was a travel agent, and he wheeled in, and I thought, oh God, I hope this guy doesn't come up to me. He's in his motor chair, clunking along, you know. And I never talked to anybody that looked like Frank. And of course, he came right up to me, <laughs> and he was asking about you know airline ticket. And I, I was at the counter that I had to like lean like this and he could see down my shirt and I never wore a bra. And he says, after we do the transaction, he goes, you'd be great in this play I'm doing. And I went, oh, really? You know, <laughs> there was no play. <laughs> but he was willing to create a play. But, you know, but the thing I think for me, um, what was so compelling, because I quit my job, you know, weeks later to hang out with Frank. Um, but... I think it was because, um, like, he would, well, there were two things. One was when I started talking to him, I, all the, like, surface stuff dropped away, and I just saw the person that he was. Mm, so uh -huh. then that was a non-issue immediately. Uh -huh. And then the other thing was just, um, like, he would show up to bring me out to lunch during my work yeah. time and stuff like that. <laughs> and I think what I got was, like, a level of commitment mm. and acceptance. Mm. Like, I wasn't used to being around somebody mm. that I felt really got me, mm. who uh -huh. really saw me, like, right. you know, in a way that I didn't even really quite, yeah. you know. Uh -huh. And I, that felt really good. That's you know, really powerful. It felt good, yeah. And so I think that's perhaps that's what it is, you know. Really seeing people, yeah. Being w seeing people and wanting to connect in like mm. a real genuine way right. that people, With a no matter part what of they, them. yeah, whatever they kind mm -hmm. of think, it seems like people respond to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's what people mm. want. Yeah, yeah. How? What? When? L? Louise? Is it Louise? No. Oh, when I? M? E? Met? Me? The? W? O? The workshop was not really happening because Frank, he had, I think you had just, I had been living here for a year and he had just moved to Berkeley not that long before and he was trying to get this workshop thing going and he had managed to get a free space in the seminary to do this workshop and to meet with people, but he couldn't get something going. Uh -huh. And so that was like the project that we did is we, s I had um, come out here to study this like growth thing, mm -hmm. Fisher Hoffman process from Pennsylvania. So I had like, I was a Fisher Hoffman therapist. Mm -hmm. And so he said, let's, cause that was like what was happening. So he said, what about if we like rework mm -hmm. this to have it fit more mm -hmm. with what Frank's thing was? So that was like our project. We like reworked it and put posters up for that to try to get this workshop thing going. And we got one guy who answered the poster. He was a psychic teacher. And he said, you know, for, we had this office, so we sat in this office for a couple hours talking to this guy to try to get him to sign up for this workshop. And in the end, he says, you know, Frank, I don't know about the workshop. He said, but would you be willing to meet, meet with me every week and I'd pay you just to sit and talk like we did yeah. now? So Frank being flexible said, sure. Uh -huh. you know, and that started a, 
I don't know, five, six year or more um, run of Frank doing relationship counseling. Uh-huh. Because he went and told all his students about his new guru. Uh-huh. And they all wanted to meet with Frank. So uh-huh. Frank was, people were paying him. He was at this office like eight, ten hours a day, two-hour sessions getting paid to do relationship counseling. He ended up having like several workshops at one time, you know, because people would eventually sign up to be in his workshop. He said, you know, if he wanted to be rich, he could have kept doing that and right. made loads of money. But B, O. Got boring. Right. People. <laughs> <laughs> Michael and I have talked it about that before. <laughs> the, the same problems. Yeah. But everybody thinks they're unique. And they right. don't like to be told right. that yeah. they're not. Are they, are, they real, are they real problems or they're not even real problems? And <laughs> <laughs> I and I. <laughs> G A gave them what would work, but when they, but when it S T A started working, they freaked out. <laughs> but like what started working like their life their relationships so they didn't want them to work so it seemed but do they do you have that happen with you when you're working with people um yeah, it's it's really interesting <laughs> reflection. I'm new in my practice. I just started this year, so I don't have enough experience to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could imagine, I, I don't have a hard time believing it because mm-hmm. people are afraid of success and are afraid of having what they say they want. And yeah. we're all accustomed to being mm-hmm. how we are. Mm-hmm. They are... F I N E fine D I D U R during the S H I shit P H A Phase. They're fine during the shit phase, mm-hmm. but when it all starts coming together and working, that's when they would freak out. And what do you mean by freak out? Well, usually they would undermine the relationship or oh, whatever they would sabotage. it was. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Because it was right there. They could have just done what again, you know, like they can't enjoy. Yeah, they can't just yeah. be. Like, yes, yeah. yes. B E because there because then they 
would be responsible. Mm. Mm. As opposed to placing the responsibility on the other person, yeah, blaming so them. Blaming or whatever for uh -huh. what happens right. to them. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the path, mm. like in most spiritual or coaching or all of that whole mm. world is like a path toward full responsibility mm. for your experience. Like, mm. that seems to be, in a way, what it all boils mm. down to. Yeah. S. So, I, W, E, went, B, back, to, S, O, school, no, S, A, no, S, A, art. That's like the the shows. Yeah, so we did. We started doing plays. We did um, that show, The Outrageous Beauty Review, which was kind of like a hit. The P E, the people who T O O. Took us, took my mm. workshop. Mm. Oh, this started moving mm. in. Yeah, so what happened is that the, the people that, um, so we had a few workshops going, and things like evolved. It's like, okay, so-and-so needs a job, so-and-so has a construction company, you know, it's like, so Frank said to the guy who has the construction company, if you hire, you know, bimbo girl who's never picked up a hammer, you'll have somebody who's committed to you. She won't know what she's doing, but you can train her. And so that was an act of trust on his part, but he ended up hiring all these people. The people that needed jobs were people that were unskilled with this particular type of work. He became a millionaire, you know, using that model of hiring people that he could trust and rely on. I, N, M. Frank's good at making money for other people. <laughs> we always have enough, but we. Who is the guy? Who is the? He was um, one of the people that was in Frank's workshop. Oh, okay. You know, and he, okay, so he was in the workshop. Uh -huh. Him and his wife, and uh -huh. he was just starting up his construction company. Uh -huh. and it was a radical idea for him right. to hire yeah. these people that, right. you know, they were all in their 20s, they never picked up a hammer, had no interest in that, but they needed work, and uh -huh. okay, you know, so we huh. had, like, you know, people so started working for each other, that they were closed companies that started successful, you know, just out of people playing, just being together and playing. Uh -huh. People started moving in with each other. Huh. You know, well, why don't we all get a house together? Why don't uh -huh. we run a house together? So we ended up with Several, I don't even know, three, four houses of people. S, P, S, O, so, M, to, at, D, S, E, S, at sessions. Right, so Frank would start bunching the sessions up. So instead of each person having a session, it would be everybody who lived together. Oh, in one of the relationship counseling things. In the, in the thing. house. Right. In the yeah. house. Yeah. I am a 
made mm. oh money right because each person would still pay their amount of money but yeah. they'd all be coming together yeah well i think that groups are much more interesting mm. than one-on-one -on -one anyway that's sort of yes. one of my observations that mm. i just think it's much i don't really like the the therapist patient or coach client relationship mm. and i i like the group atmosphere mm. where people get to be seen by mm. a variety of people and i think that that can be powerful mm. yes the s h o show shows we did a bunch of stuff we did plays we did all sorts of things um all sorts of things plus art with these people too so it was like these are the same people who are like yeah like frank would come up with a play idea mm -hmm. and it's not like anybody was an actor you know but like you know we did mm -hmm. one play that was a strip that happened in a strip joint and um it was about the dynamic of the um the three dancers in this club it was and he based it on like the lowest dive that because he um he was aware of the places on broadway and so what he did he got these three the three women that he cast in it he got them jobs at this divest place on broadway in san francisco and we would be there and they would do their set and then he would coach them because they were supposed to like be their mm. character in their, s and he didn't have like a line necessarily mm. script. It was more like a treatment, and they had to be their characters and interact with the um, audience who were people that came into this bar, and um, so that's the kind of that's huh. the kind of thing we did. But that led us discovering mm. the Mabuhay Gardens, which was right mm. on that same street, because it got very boring sitting at these strip clubs mm. hour after hour. So we'd walk the streets looking for something to do, and there was this punk club. So we went in there, and you know, Frank, in his usual way, saw the guy that was um, producing the shows mm. there, and went up to him and said, "Can I do something here?" And uh -huh. he, had, he had hit this play right up for um, a play. He, this guy had a hit play in San Francisco. It was like, you know, a big deal. And he lived in Berkeley, and Frank was always cruising the streets. And he, he went up to this guy and said, I'd like to direct one of your plays. And this guy was kind of like very, mm. oh, okay, Frank, I'll give you a play. Like a very uh -huh. condescending, you know. And um, if you want me to change any of the stuff, just we'll talk about it. And Frank said, I'll just do it the way it's written. It was about a pre-Christian Irish queen and her concubine. It was called Meb. So Frank has this. So he goes into this, this club, the punk club, and he says to this guy, Dirk, he said, can I do this play here? So, you know, Dirk, on the other hand, didn't see a crip. He saw Frank. You know, and he goes, what do you got? You know, so Frank tells him about this play. He says, sure. And so we did this play for two weeks at the Mabuhays after we finished the play about the strippers, which then um, nobody came to the play. You know, it was an early show. And the play about the strippers, it was like an unofficial thing? Like, I would, did the management of the strip club know that it was happening? Um, well, the play itself happened at Frank's Theater. This was just rehearsal. 
Oh, I see. So okay. the, this their job at this club was them learning their part. Oh, I see. It was so like learning. So he got okay. them a job. Immersion. That was the way. And they, you know, this is you're going to learn how to be the stripper by being a stripper. Uh-huh. And so and then we actually did the play at the storefront we had, and we fixed the place up like the dive, and people would come in, and we did the actual play uh-huh. on at the at our storefront. So yeah. So we ended up getting this, the Mabuhe Garden. So we did this play. Nobody came. It was the early show. Dirk had this, this is where all the punks played at 11 o'clock. And he had this vision of this kind of Toulouse-Lautrec environment. And we would be the artsy-fartsy early show. And, uh-huh. um, he just loved it. He loved the play, even though nobody was there. He just, the owner of the Mabuhe. Um, he was the producer. A producer, Dirk, okay. Yeah. He loved it. He said, keep it going. But we couldn't because Frank had dredged these people that none of them thought of themselves as actors and all had Uh other things they were doing. But he said, anything you ever want to do, you got a place. So that one of the people in the workshop, Diane, who was the construction worker, but who, um, you know, liked the arts, she said to Frank, if I took a leave from work, could we do a project together? So I'll come up with a few hundred dollars we can use to put it on. So he said, I always wanted to do a takeoff on a beauty contest, but where instead of being beauty, it would be outrageous. Mm. Whoever's the most outrageous. So we arranged it with Dirk, and it was a one-time thing. Got contestants, mm. and Frank went around the Bay Area and got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of prizes. I mean, it was unbelievable. He would come home with these gift certificates for these fancy restaurants, boutiques, hair salons, um, record stores. But we couldn't find contestants that were outrageous. You know, not to, not to what we wanted. So eventually, he planted some of the people from the workshops as contestants who were not eligible to win. But he told the real contestants that he had plants. And he said, but you don't know who the plants are, so you have to be more outrageous than all the and other And what kind of outrageous, like looking or acting or Breaking what? taboos, breaking, oh. you know, breaking. Like an not, action that would be outrageous. Yeah, edgy, you know, uncomfortable, like uh-huh. pushing, pushing uh-huh. boundaries, real, like a real outrage. It's not just like a fancy costume, but like uh-huh. pushing through something. Uh-huh. And, um... So we did this show, but it was, like, packed. There were hundreds of people there. We had never done anything for more than, like, five people, you uh-huh. know. And there was, like, rows of reporters. It was the second page of the examiner. It was just, like... And this was in the 80s, or that, when um, was that? 78, I oh, think. 70, okay. 78, 79, something uh-huh. like that. And so Dirk comes backstage during the show, announced that it's a weekly event. <laughs> <laughs> And Frank, being flexible, says, okay, even though we were midway through um, rehearsal on another play, he had rewritten Lysistrata to bring it back to its original bodiness. Never did that. So we did the Outrageous Beauty review for three and a half years, once or twice a week for that whole time. And that evolved into um, not getting contestants, but, you know, us. Being acts. outrageous. We were the, we yeah. were the acts. Yeah. So a big lesson is to be flexible. Yeah. It sounds like that's a big theme. That's right. 
just yeah. kind of following something. Following. That's yeah. what Frank always says. He follows. He would. I find that in my own life too. Yeah, uh, things happen that you have no idea mm. will be the things that take shape. Yes, I. Need to not get in the way. A B about. Everything about everything we do. I did not P L A plan to do. That that show. No, you did not plan to do the plan to do a um, what? You have to no a oh anything any a b o about any about every. Thing. We have done. I did not plan to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. T. A. Talk about L. I. S. T. Lists. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, the whole planning thing is big in lists and um, not having lists. Um, I'm actually writing something now about, I spent this year traveling in South America and mm -hmm. in 2010, and it was very much about exploring that idea of being unplanned mm -hmm. because my life had been very planned mm -hmm. and very <clears throat> obsessive with mm -hmm. lists and just sort of having goals and sticking to them mm -hmm. and almost being kind of mechanical mm -hmm. in getting things done, which mm -hmm. is very much the way of life, mm -hmm. especially in this country. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I was really interested in following the idea of an unplanned life mm. and what happens. Mm. And lists, I mean, lists are what you want them to be. They can be, you can be a slave to your lists and mm. feel like you have to follow that plan, but lists are also a jumping off point for desire and creativity. Mm. And it's a total openness to, the, the root of list is to lust. Mm. The middle English root is to lust. So it's about like, what do I want? ultimately mm. is like a way that you could trace the root of mm. listing. So it's like, I actually went through a big journey in my listing of being like very practical mm. to like, I only write things down I think I can do. 
to like writing just down everything and appreciating that mystical part of lists that is like everything and anything and you never know. Then for getting your and then forgetting your list. Forgetting your list, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there can be that. Like, in a weird way, like, you could write a list of so many things that seem impossible and forget about it and then go back six months or a year later and realize you did it all in some way that might not be obvious, but you did it all. That, L, it, is, like, P, R, A, Praying. Mm, yeah, it's a prayer. Mm. It is. It's totally like a prayer. Mm. That I, I have that line and something I wrote about this that it's a secular version of prayer. Mm. But you think, but you need to for mm. forget. Mm. Once you once you pray for it slash mm. list it, then you need to forget it. Yeah, in some way to not be mm. too attached to it. Mm. But it's in your consciousness in some way. It's like rumbling and for B back brain. Mm. Yeah, it could be like the back brain. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a superstition or something of like you don't want to be too attached to it like uh, I have to have this but it does feel like and I, I think much more so writing versus typing well I, I don't I guess for you Frank maybe there is no distinction but I feel like for me when I handwrite it has more of a mystical I, feeling to it I don't do Lists. Right. You're not a lister. He's not a lister. That kind of list. He like he would do lists of his all time favorite rock and roll songs and those kinds of lists. Uh-huh. He does those kind but not the kind of to do lists. Or things you want. No, he doesn't no. do that. B E because that F R A M frames it frames it O no P O P P O R Opportunity, it frames opportunity. Mm. You prefer that the opportunity is so vast and open without a list to frame it? Yes. But it seems like, like writing the list is like setting the compass so that something can happen. Yeah. Like how do you set the start point then? Mm. What's the articulation? P, L, mm -hmm. I, Live 
Mm-hmm. Just living. <laughs> no, you have to write it down first. <laughs> you can't just live. <laughs> no. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. A L T A L T H Although when I did the four oh the forty eight hour right that's right but yeah um in the I guess it was in the late seventies um Frank did this thing called the forty eight hour process and um he would he would tell somebody that um, if they stuck with him for 48... Well, first he would say he would have them make a list of what they want. But it would, he said, not like, like a new car or something like that, but like what you really want in uh-huh. your life. Uh-huh. And um, the, there would be like a $500 fee at the time. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good amount of money. And for 48 hours, he said, if you follow me for 48 hours, I'll put you in a position to have the things on your list. Uh-huh. But F O F I R first, you went through the list with them. They'd write mm-hmm. the list, and then Frank would have a session where he went through the list to really. I've boil done it something down. extremely similar with the people in my coaching program study group because one of the people is very into experience design and play. <laughs> and you have to read this book, Finite and Infinite Games. It's all based on these principles. So we would do something similar where we would do a 15 minute session to determine what kind of experience they wanted to have, and then they would leave the room for half an hour, and we would create it for them. Wow. So it was, wasn't was a 48-hour thing, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. principle was exactly the same. Yes, yes. Yeah. It did W. It did work. Yeah. So people, what kinds of things did they want? Every, yeah, everybody was different, and they all were, wow, I don't know. So, there's so many, there's Joe Joe was an easy, the one guy really, he was into being enlightened, he wanted to be enlightened, he wanted his, you know, to have that kind of experience Mm -hmm. in his life. Is that a, that's one example, that's the thing that came to my mind. So, um, so he had a certain picture of himself as this very spiritual, enlightened kind of guy. And, um, so what Frank would do is he would use the money to like, he'd hire people, he'd plant people in the environment. Cause we'd leave, you know, we had this storefront we used and, but we'd leave the environment and go to restaurants, mm. go to movies, just uh-huh. do various yeah. things. Whatever. Similar. Our yeah. stuff had like, things like yeah. that, too. And he would places, have yeah. people planted uh-huh. at different places. So, so. But you would hire people, Using not just involve money, them as players. Because we had this money. You so know, the money mm. wasn't a fee. It was to facilitate the experience. Well, yeah, it was a fee. It was yeah, a fee, it was but a fee, part but of it was that's how budget. Frank used it. Part of it was to hire people so he had more possibilities. I... I am N E 
never a about money. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. So in the case of Joe, um, he for the first like eight hours or something, we sat in this um, in the studio here and read. Was it Steppenwolf or Sid Arthur? Mm. Sid Arthur. Um, so Frank had, was it, did Joe read it aloud or you had somebody read it? It was Joe reading it. But mm. Frank would keep interrupting him mm. and, and drawing um, mm. what was happening into the book into Joe's life so that his life was woven into this book. So by the end of this eight hours, Joe was like, you know, he was completely blissed out. This is it. You know, I'm uh-huh. there. This is what I wanted. <laughs> Frank said, great, let's go get something to eat. So we go to the, the Jewish deli around the corner. Mm. Let's see, filled with people, and we get our food, and we're all sitting there eating. And Frank takes longer to eat, so Joe has finished eating. So he said, why don't you just pick somebody that's here in the restaurant and go introduce yourself and sit with them and, you know, while I finish eating. So, you know, Frank knew the kind of person Joe would pick. So he hired this woman, and he told her how to dress, and he told her how to act, and Joe went right over to her and sat down. (laughs) (laughs) And he's, yeah. So then when we're done, Frank says, okay, you know, we're going. So he says goodbye to the woman, and we're walking back, and Joe just starts putting her down. Oh, he said, I was trying to explain to her what was going on. She just wasn't getting it. You know, as if, like, she's, like, her consciousness is so low, you know, she just couldn't conceive. And um, so we go back to the space, and um, I think you sent him into another room to meditate on what had happened. And while he was gone, Frank had already arranged all of this. I think her name was Deborah. Um, That after so much time had passed, after we left, she was to show up at the door. So she shows up while he's mm. back meditating. And um, we had this box, like the size of a double mm. bed, that was padded with foam and had a lid and air holes. So um, Frank mm. and Deborah got in the box naked and put the lid on it. And then our directions mm. is to bring Joe back out. Mm. And was the lid open mm. or closed? And he had to guess who you were in the box with. And Emma. E, D, meditate. Mm. He had to meditate on the box mm. and on who you were in the box with. Mm. So at some point, we open the lid up, and Frank says to Joe, "How how did I do this? How did I get her to be in the box with me?" We were oh, and they were playing erotically. Yeah, Deborah and he were playing erotically. Mm. Frank had um, made up that word mm. aeroplay, which you might have read in uh-huh. the research. Which so they were aeroplaying, and so that's what Joe's like looking at Frank and Deborah playing. Um, Frank said, "So how did I do it? How did I get her to be here? You picked her, and so there were all these." So Joe was like, well, you must have hired everybody in that restaurant. Mm. And then the one that I picked would get paid extra to come over here. Okay, you know. Um, I, C, R, A, cracked up. Yeah, Frank just started laughing. So at some point, we tell him, right? We tell him what happened, that Frank knew who he would pick. 
and told her how to dress and act, and we paid her, and nobody else in the restaurant was involved in this in any way. Do you believe that? He said, no, it's impossible. It's impossible that you could have predicted who I would pick. I cracked up again. <laughs> so eventually Frank said, okay, sure, I hired everybody. You know, if that was the thing that he would accept. And I think that that's kind of an example of, you know, where he, you know, he did get what he wanted, but he was also kind of put in a position. We, P, U, S, pushed. Right? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. You know, I really have to go to the bathroom. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it's how long have we been? So it's we're already kind of at the end. This plays on um, our cable TV show, and that's uh-huh. like a that's a length. Okay. So that's what we base the length of this on. So should we wrap it up now? Yeah. Tell everybody who you are. Okay. Um, my name is Sasha Kagan, and I'm the author of Quirky Alone and To Do List. Yeah. And I'm a writer, and I'm a coach. Yes. And um, your website? Um, SashaKagan.com, QuirkyAlone.net, To Do List blog, yeah. uh, Google me. Yeah. R E A read. Sasha's Sasha reviewed one of Frank's performances. Yeah, it all it began because that. I came to the show in December and wrote a blog post about it. Yes, and you guys saw it. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was very cool for me. I'll just say, because I felt like coming to your show was it like returning to my roots, like mm-hmm. in some way. Because, like I said, like I have a history of doing this kind of stuff, but I also have my practical side like I think it's kind of interesting that you guys developed all of this in the 70s right mm-hmm. but like I'm of a different generation so I've had like I started with the riot girl everything you know when mm-hmm. I was 19 doing zines going to punk shows all of that but then there's like riot girl grows up and you have to well you don't have well I you know have done conventional things too to make money and have a career quote unquote um, but there's a part of me that or the biggest part of me like so mm-hmm. appreciates this kind of stuff that is totally mm-hmm. authentic mm-hmm. and real and f- free of fear you know because yes. I think that's where the juice is so coming to that show was like a nice touching in or tapping into that again you know because mm-hmm. people who want to follow that path really need mm-hmm. nourishment or just to remember that it exists yes you know mm-hmm. okay um, G O Go Go, go pee Yeah, I think <laughs> I'm you're, you're, Otherwise you're going to have a problem here <laughs> Yeah Okay Check it. Yeah. <laughs>